You're listening to The Film File, the film show for film geeks, by film geeks. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Well, after the show's finished, that is. Hello and welcome to The Film File. I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Meakin. And as ever, thank you for joining us on The Film File, the film show for film geeks, by film geeks, and yep, we're just a couple of old film geeks talking yeah. film geekery. Andy, <laughs> how have you been? All right. All right. I've continued in the same thread as it was last week. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm taking a break on my Halloween rewatch now. All right. I was worried about you. I was concerned. I've watched everything up to um, Halloween Resurrection. And I think I need to take a breather before I tackle the Rob Zombie double bill. You're going for it? You're going that far down the rabbit hole? I'm doing the whole lot. I'm doing the lot. I'm doing, I've got the Rob Zombie Blimey. double bill, and then I've got the most recent two films ready in time for Halloween Kills. So I'm giving myself a week off, tackle the, Hallow- uh, the Rob Zombie ones, and then take a few days off, tackle the last two. And that should lead me nicely into when Halloween Ends comes out, by which point I'll probably just not want to watch Halloween Ends at this rate. You know, it's, it's, been a, it's a project. I like these little projects. I like to give myself these little tasks. I need to just be careful on Twitter as well. Uh, I, I'm sure you saw okay. the post. I think you, you clicked like on it. Uh, my mum has joined Twitter. Mrs. Meekin has entered the building. Please don't swear. It, it's one of them. It's like, have I, have, I done anything, have I done anything controversial in the past on Twitter? Do I need to search through my browser history and like get rid of all the Twitter posts that are put out that might cause a bit of an upset? It's like... Oh, she doesn't know how to use Twitter yet. She hasn't. She hasn't sussed out the search function. I should be okay. <laughs> but no, it's uh, she. She was sending me messages because she was like, "How do I? How do I do this? How do I do that?" And it was just, just find people and follow them. Is Cliff Richard on there? No, thankfully. So she she's she's finding her feet on there. But I think it's great. She's in, she just loves embracing new technology and then getting confused with it all. And yeah, you were gonna uh, you were gonna delete all your back catalogue like you were a, <laughs> a Tory minister waiting to be admitted into the House of Lords. <laughs> I should be okay. It's uh, it's my Instagram history that I need to worry about. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. Uh, d- did you see the the viral marketing for Smile this weekend? Yes, I did. You know, I'm I liked the look of that trailer. I mentioned it to you. Yeah, and I, I think it's very clever how they are promoting it. It's genius. People first started to notice something was a bit out of the ordinary. When baseball matches, there's people tweeting who were at it saying, there's this weird guy who sat a few rows ahead who keeps standing up and not doing anything for about 10, 15 minutes and then sitting down. What's going on? And then people who are watching at home are going, why is there some weird person just smiling at the camera every time that the batter's about to hit something? And it turns out, and this... Yeah, go back a few months when the Gentle Minions thing came out, which yeah. is speculated that Universal themselves came up with it. And Universal probably sat there going, ho, 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 best viral marketing campaign ever. We've convinced people to go watch this by saying TikTok, do this. Paramount would sat there and just went, hold our beers, because they booked <laughs> out a seat behind the batting plate at every broadcast game this weekend and put an actor in there to smile, a sinister smile for the whole thing. Now, you try doing this for 10 minutes. I did it last night. I tried to maintain a sinister looking smile and it's it's a struggle. So yeah. these were committed and every time the camera was on them, the staring straight at the camera with the smile on the face. And they even got themselves in the back. One of them got in the background of the Daily Show as it was going out outside the window, same as we have in the UK. Yeah. We've got this morning and like sometimes you get pe- used to get people waving through the window. Well, Daily Show over there, someone stood at the back with a smile t-shirt on, sinister smile on her face. And I just think that's brilliant. I just think that is the best viral marketing campaign since the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, it, it's it's a bit of genius. I mean, and an easy one as well Yeah, in, in the scheme of things. But I tell you what, if that doesn't have uh, an impact on the box office just due to that, then... Uh, uh, there's going to be heads that are going to roll in some marketing department, but I'll be so, so surprised at how to create buzz. As simple as that. I always thought when the Ring remake came out that people should have just left VHS tapes lying around <laughs> next to people's cars and that sort of thing uh, and, and done exactly that. I'm ahead of my time. Absolutely ahead of my time. 
I'll tell everyone. We're, we're discussing, like, you know, because the light cinema does uh, intros before the films. And I've suggested that instead of doing an intro, the person doing the intro just walks in and spends 45 seconds just staring at the audience with a big smile. Oh, opening and night, then, that would be great. Opening night. I'm, I'm, go- I'm going to ask them to test the waters with that tomorrow because we've got an advanced preview tomorrow. So fingers crossed that will go well. I, I reckon that the general response was, will be initial giggles and then nervous giggles from the audience as it starts to go on. Yeah. I, I, I think it's great. We're, we're well and truly all, we're all impressed. Everyone within our cinema chain is thoroughly impressed with what Paramount are doing. Paramount, you are legends at the moment. <laughs> Not only for the films that they're bringing out, because, you know, that they are really delivering this year on films. Yeah, they've had a bumper year. This is great. I'm looking forward to Smile. Uh, hopefully we're going to get to see it before next weekend and be able to yeah. talk about it. It's got rated 18 over here as well, which... Oh, uh, fantastic, that's good. Very Not rare for a horror to get an 18, so I'm expecting something a bit messed up. Hopefully I'll be joining you. Yes, fingers we crossed. Figure it out, I'll join you. Yeah. Okay, talking of shows, what have we got for you in this week's show? Well... Have we got a show? We've oh. always got a show, Andy. Is that what we're doing? that's what we do. People just think it's us having a natter. But this is all planned within an inch of its life. It pretty much is us just having a natter. There is yeah. some planning. We, um, you know, There's notes and notes and notes sat in front of me. But and then I'm I turn on. up. And then you <laughs> turn up and always throw curveballs in just to keep me on my toes. <laughs> We're going to do a deep dive in celebration of the launch of the new Star Wars series on Disney+. Plus. We're going to be looking at Andor in our reviews, but our deep dive is Star Wars Rogue One. Andy is going to be reviewing. I've got a good triple bill this week. Oh, that's good to know. By good, I don't necessarily mean that these are good films. At the cinemas, I watched Don't Worry Darling, which we're all aware of the negativity around that film and how much of a critical panic it's got. Does it deserve it? Find out later. On Netflix, there was a film that landed last week called I Used to Be Famous, which I gave it a quick shot. And I said I was going to review this one. Landed on Sky Movies this week. Shark bait. He's doing the Lord's work, ladies and gentlemen. The Lord's work. <laughs> but before any of that, we've got the box office and the news. So as you said, you're going to be reviewing Don't Worry Darling later on. But how is that faring in the US and the UK despite the controversy that has surrounded it. And when we say controversy, we're just meaning lots and lots of stories that may or may not be true. So over in the US this weekend, Don't Worry Darling opened with 19.4 million. It's opened worldwide to 30 million on what's been reported as between 25 and 35 million budgets. That's a pretty strong three-day opening. The Woman King took second place with 11 million. Avatar's re-release went in at third with 10.5 million, with Barbarian in fourth place with 4.8 million, and See How They Run with 1.9 million. Meanwhile, here in the UK, Don't Worry Darling debuted at number one with £2.7 million, which included the previews during the week. In second place was another new opener, Ticket to Paradise, the George Clooney and Julia Roberts romantic comedy, £1.6 million for the weekend. Disney's re-release of Avatar again took third place with £1.2 million. See How They Run drops to fourth place this week, taking another 471,000, taking it to 3.6 million overall so far. And Moon Age Daydream, which last week opened in IMAX only, showing a strong potential for a strong opening this week, took 373,000 this weekend for a total gross so far during its run of 674,000. All right, that's the box office. Let's dive in with news. What have you got first for us, Andy? Let's go back seven days. A whole seven days? When we did the news last week and we spoke about Woody Allen um, talking about his retirement. Yeah, packing it all in. Turns out that... He was misquoted. Oh, okay. It sounds like it because it was with a a Spanish magazine that he did the interview and it might be that they didn't quite get the gist. But a representative for the 86-year-old director has issued a statement this past week clarifying what he actually meant. Woody never said he was retiring, nor did he say he was writing another novel. He said he was thinking about not making films as making films that go straight or very quickly to streaming platforms is not so enjoyable for him as he's a great lover of the cinema experience. Currently, he has no intention of retiring and is very excited to be in Paris shooting his new movie, which will be the 50th movie that he's made. So he's not planning to retire. He just doesn't want to make things for streaming. He wants to still have a chance of getting things to the cinema. So as long as he can still put his things on the cinemas, he will continue making films. Okay. I've got to be honest. It's been some time since I've seen a Woody Allen movie without going back and re-watching Annie Hall or our favourite, uh, Love and Death. So yeah, Woody Allen will still make films. Whether anyone will watch them, 
that's another matter. But, you know, that's a story for another day, I suppose. IMAX is going to get into the world of streaming. How are they now? Are they going to come around and give everybody a new TV? Is that part of their... their uh, that would be great kind of uh, marketing, wouldn't it? You sign up to us, we'll bring you a dirty, great, whopping TV. It's not going to be IMAX having their own streaming service. Oh, okay. No TV. It's IMAX are getting into it by the, they've acquired the Canadian tech startup Simwave in a deal that's said to be worth 20 to 24 million. Simwave is a streaming technology that optimizes and maximizes video and audio quality of a stream across multiple platforms from phones, tablets, laptops, TVs to more interactive devices like VR and AR. And the acquisition means that his company can uh, deliver the highest quality video images. We, we know that when we're getting HDR streamed through on Netflix, it's not really, is it? Because no. the streaming technology is not quite there. This is all about getting that perfect streaming technology. And IMAX is all about delivering the best sound and the best picture. So it makes sense that they want to get involved in this. They will then offer this tech to existing streaming clients once it's been refined, such as Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, Paramount+, Plus, to offer the IMAX streaming experience of their product. So basically, any films that got released in IMAX, they will be able to advertise it on Netflix as this is an IMAX format and it will be streaming in the quality that IMAX wants. Okay. Because at the moment, if you get if you're watching something like you see it on Disney Plus whenever there's the film that has been like shown in IMAX and it'll say it was like the aspect ratio is adjusted for the IMAX ratio, but it's not never says the IMAX quality. They'll be able to advertise it as this is the IMAX quality of right. the streaming. So it it's just basically to to improve the streaming at home service, which I I'm all for. I'm all yeah. for like advancement in tech because let's be honest, if you're going, if you're getting something advertised as being in HD, it should really be in full Absolutely. HD. I see it occasionally when I'm supposed to be watching something in 4K and I'm doubting that it's true 4K, especially if you've yeah. seen something previous to it or after it, which is in is in 4K and you go, yep, that one is. That one, last one certainly wasn't. Yep. So exciting times for people like me who are complete and utter tech head. Hey, Andy. Yes. There's been some shenanigans with Netflix this week as they've done basically what those guys at Disney did the other week and had a bit of a showcase for their up and coming new shows. Have they? And what have they been showcasing for the world this week? Well, they have given the first look featurette preview of Chris Hemsworth, a fiery sequel to uh, Extraction. And that, of course, is going to be called Extraction 2. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> Enola Holmes 2 um, and Another Adventure Strikes Again. There's also a, a trailer out for that. Um, I quite liked the first one. It was kind of like the Highlander that we never got. And uh, Netflix have been hyping up their sequel to Old Guard 2. Yeah, I quite enjoyed the first one. Uh, the Witcher Season 3 was announced, as was The Witcher Blood Origin. Not to be confused with Blood Orange, which is a completely different thing. Yeah, and a nice drink that would make too. <laughs> I'll have a Witcher special, please. <laughs> Something, of course, you'll be interested in. A Power Rangers reboot, a planned movie and a TV show, all going to Netflix. 1899, which is to arrive in November. I know very, very little about. Created by the guys who brought us Dark, represents the pair of Baron Bo Odar and Janty Friers, pair's next compelling mystery series. And this time they've expanded their scope for a multilingual series that has plenty of weirdness wrapped around it. I never got the dark. I never watched it. Uh, did you see it? I didn't, know. We're both completely in the dark on that one then. <laughs> uh, and this intrigues me by the guys who brought us uh, American Horror Story, and that is The Watcher, which stars Naomi Watts and Bobby Cannavale. And it's a story about uh, a couple who move into a new neighbourhood and become victims of a creepy voyeurist. I don't think there are other kind of warriors other than the creepy type, but this looks uh, delightfully creepy. Netflix also announced this week that Judge Reinhold, John Aston, Paul Reisner and Bronson Pinchot are set to officially join Beverly Hills Cop Axel Foley movie for the streamer. This means that everyone's back together. Reinhold and Ashton will reprise their roles of sidekick cops Billy Rosewood 
and Sergeant Taggart, alongside Eddie Murphy returning as Axel Foley. Riser starred as Foley's Detroit cop partner, Jeffrey Friedman, and Pinshot was a sassy art gallery salesman in the earlier films. So this Beverly Hills Cop film is basically putting the whole gang back together to try to tap into that nostalgia for the original one. Will it be as good? Uh, We don't know yet. Sequels didn't work, did they? I'm cautiously optimistic. I'd like to think that Mark Malloy, who's directing from a script by Will Beale, are going to do a decent job. As long as it's better than the third one, it'll at least be okay. Yeah, directed by John Landis, and that went straight down the toilet. And finally on, well, finally for now, on the Netflix news, John Boyega is starring in a new caper, They Cloned Tyrone, uh, alongside Jamie Foxx and One Division's Tayona Paris. Basic synopsis is a series of eerie events to us an unlikely trio Viega, Paris and Fox onto the trail of a nefarious and is there any other type government experiment in this pulpy mystery thriller that is kind of retro black exploitation Uh, and that's it for the Netflix news good news for me was the Lord of the Rings Rings of Power even though it's only halfway through the first season they're already planning filming for the next season which will start on October the 7th so we're definitely getting a second season and the new season will shift to filming in the UK filming is going to take place around Edinburgh Scotland and surrounding locations and Bray Studios near Windsor Castle will serve as the show's home base in the UK production will also return to some shots in New Zealand just to give it that aesthetic because New Zealand is Middle Earth let's be honest I've heard that Neil Gaiman's involved in this series (laughs) so Neil Gaiman's heard this as well and um, I certainly hope he's going to get paid for it. But yeah, it's it's great news and it's a bit of a ha-ha to all the people who are saying it's failing and it's not doing any money. Oh, because it is actually being watched by a significant number of people. Not as much as who are watching House of the Dragon. It doesn't need to. Not everything needs to have the same viewership. Things just need to be a success. And sticking with streaming, did you see the news that Vince Gilligan, who gave us Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, is jumping ship to Apple TV? And he's bringing with him Rhea Seahorn to lead in whatever this new series is going to be. Yeah, it's currently untitled. It's dubbed a blended, grounded genre drama. Plot specifics are under wraps, but let's be honest, Gilligan just brings gold. Yeah, right back to the X-Files. He did some of the classic X-Files episodes. Um, I've been with him through most of what he's done. I think a fantastic writer. Nearly 10 networks were all bidding pursuing this project. I bet they were. It's apparently got a budget of up to 15 million per episode. But Apple partly won out because several key executives at Sony Pictures Television who helped Greenlight Breaking Bad and have a long collaboration with Gilligan are now working for Apple. And so they've basically stolen him. It's a great loss for Netflix, but as we've said so Great time, benefit for Apple. Apple with its premium quality that it brings. That's a great name to add into their mix. I've still got to get through Blackbird, which looks so intriguing. I am, as as I said on previous shows, so far behind and uh, need some good old catching up time. Sticking with Apple as well, Saoirse Ronan is going to lead the World War II epic feature Blitz, which is coming from Shame and Widows director Steve McQueen. Now, you know, I've got a love for Steve McQueen. I love his approach to filmmaking. It's, It's sometimes a very cold approach to filmmaking, but I love that journeys and analysis of you know individuals that he does this film is going to tell the stories of groups of Londoners during the aerial bombing of the British capital during the Blitz McQueen is writing directing and producing the film which shoots later this year with Ronan co-starring alongside a yet to be revealed unknown newcomer we've talked about all the madness that's happening at HBO but it appears that we're going to get a Scanners TV series from them based on David Cronenberg's cinematic Exploding Head movie is the best way to describe it. (laughs) One of the first things I ever saw on VHS. Yeah, I think think a lot of people... That was one of the first things that you saw on VHS because it was one of those films that you just heard so much about and had to see. The original film followed a group of people with a range of psychic, telepathic and telekinetic abilities who were nicknamed Scanners. One faction led by the power-mad Revok, who was played brilliantly by the ever-excellent Michael Ironside. And a, a private security firm is recruiting its own Scanners to try to stop the factions for their own reasons. I'm interested. Emmy winner William Bridges is going to serve as writer and showrunner. He gave us Black Mirror USS Callister. That was a great episode. Mm, One of the classics. Jan Dimanche from Lovecraft Country fame is going to direct the pilot and both of them executive produce. So again, good names behind there. One to look forward to. Now here's one that I'm definitely looking forward to. We're huge fans of Naked Gun and Airplane, yeah? We are, absolutely. I go right back to not even Airplane, but Police Story. Well, David Zucker and Pat Proft 
are reteaming to executive produce an anthology comedy series called No Pofo. <laughs> okay. The show is going to be a satire of the Nordic noir genre that has become an industry in its own right over the past decade. Scandinavian shows such as The Killing and The Bridge as well as the girl with the dragon tattoo trilogy, expect them to be riffing and spoofing on all that. It's going to be a 10-part, half-hour episodes series following three elite agents from the Nordic police force, no pofo, who are tasked with solving various gruesome murders. Looking forward to that one. I hope it's better than the scary movies that they did. But I know it wasn't the full team, was it? To be fair... When Zucker came on board one of the scary movie films, which was the third one, that was actually better than the first two. Yeah, it was. Some of the murders that they're investigating, there's going to be a serial killer who only murders bad heavy rock bands. Looking forward to that one. I'll be careful then. An Instagram obsessive who makes ice sculptures out of his victims and other such ridiculous extreme measures. I'm hoping it's going to be returned to form for Zucker and Proft. Um, Apple Original Films has announced November the 11th theatrical release followed by a November the 18th release on Apple TV Plus of their holiday musical comedy, Spirited. Now, this is the one which has Ryan Reynolds, so obviously I'm interested. Will Ferrell and Octavia Spencer, who are leading the cast of a modern musical rendition of A Christmas Carol, in which Scrooge is visited by four ghosts on Christmas Eve. This version is going to add more comedy and some huge musical numbers, with songs by La La Land duo Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. Good bit of holiday fun. Hopefully we'll carry over well on Apple TV Plus and bring them some more subscribers over the Christmas period. Hey, did you see, uh, just while you're on that particular story, did you see the trailer for Babylon, the new film from Damien Chazelle? All deals with old Hollywood. It looks amazing. Of course it would. It's Damien Chazelle. I didn't see that trailer. Oh, check it out. Check it out. Well worth it. There's going to be a fourth Cloverfield film. Yeah, I heard about this because, well... Paradox was a bit of a paradox because it, it just wasn't particularly very good. It was okay, but you could understand why it went straight to streaming. Yeah. Because it, it was a big like... deal if you think about it back in the day. Yeah. But this is going to be the fourth chapter in the series, and it's Wounds director Babek Anvari who is set to helm it. The first two films were very well regarded by critics and a commercial success. The third, like we said, went straight to streaming and only really got impact because it launched with no fanfare until the Super Bowl and the advert played at the Super Bowl and finished saying now streaming and that's when they made it go live worldwide on the Netflix service. Interesting way of marketing it. It got it's it got an audience from it, but it got a lot of negativity. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen in this Cloverfield film. We don't know what sta- what take it's going to do because each of them is very different. So let's just see how this pans out. As soon as we know anything, we will let you know. Did you see that um, we've got another film that's passed a billion? No, what was that? Jurassic World, Dominion. Oh, yes. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Has just trickled past one billion, which makes it the third film to do so since the start of the pandemic. Do you want to remind uh, our loyal listeners who the other two films are? Yeah, the other two films are Top Gun Maverick, which absolutely wowed audiences and is still on at the cinemas. And it's still holding in there and still taking more money. And obviously... Spider-Man No Way Home, which was a huge hit over the festive period. No one expected Jurassic World Dominion to get to this point, but it's another one that's had legs and it's continued playing. Even though it's been out months, they've continued showing it and still been bringing in trickles and trickles and trickles. And this proves the point that you shouldn't just go straight to streaming after 30 to 45 days, because if you keep it going at the cinema, you will continue to get that little bit of an extra audience. I think there's going to be... Based on the back end of some of these results, I think there's going to be some serious conversations to be had in some of the boardrooms at some of the other studios. Hey, did you know I was a big fan of uh, Reacher Season 1 on Amazon? Yes, I've still got to get round to watching it. I am completely behind on so many shows. Well, it's been announced and there's been a little bit of footage from the set of Reacher 2, uh, which is now in production. And joining the cast are Surinder Swan, Ferdinand Kingsley and Rory Cochran, who will always be the stoner in Dazed and Confused for me. Now, Will Smith. Yes. After the slap that was heard around the world. Slapgate. A few projects were shelved. A few things stopped going into production. But it looks like things might be clawing back at some point for the actor. We already know that after the ceremony, one of the things that was pretty much in the can was emancipation for Apple TV+. And so that kind of got put on the back burner. And it's been it's been reported now that people within Apple are now discussing the idea of perhaps releasing it in theatres in December 
in time for awards consideration. They reckon his performance is strong enough to go for a awards season. Clearly, he won't be turning up at the Oscars, but <laughs> it won't stop them putting the film forward for it. Uh, this is the Antoine Fuqua film, uh, which stars Will Smith as a slave in 19th century America, who's on the run from his captors and becomes well-known after his abuse scars are shown in a newspaper. Apple TV paid $121 million to distribute the film back when it seemed okay. like a surefire awards contender. So obviously they don't want this to just vanish. Doesn't have a release date yet, but it looks like they are considering. I think they're basically going, has enough time passed? Can, can we risk this one? I think it'd be a shame that they don't release the film because let's be honest, it's not just Will Smith in this film. There's other people involved in this film. Let's not yeah. hold them back. But also multiple Oscar winner and filmmaker Charmaine Obey Chinoy who gave us Ms. Marvel, Saving Face, and A Girl in the River, is to make a narrative feature directorial debut on Brilliance for Paramount Pictures, which is a passion project for Will Smith and Akiva Goldsman, with the hope that Smith will star in it. He's not committed to it yet. Goldsman's already written the script, but Will Smith would like to still be involved. So it does look like he's... Uh, Going to be making resurgence. This is the film in which uh, Smith hopefully will be playing a federal agent tasked with using his own gift, which is an ability to read body language so well that he can predict people's moves to infiltrate a radical group and hunt down another brilliant mind who could plunge the entire country into the devastating civil war. Sounds like a great little thriller. Fingers crossed. We always knew he wouldn't be away forever. No. He had to go to actor's jail for a little while, but we always knew he would be back. He's too good a, a, an actor for people to not want to use him. Yeah. We spoke about Clerks last week in our reviews. Yes, we did. And this week, while doing the rounds on various interviews, Kevin Smith has answered a question that has been plaguing many of us Kevin Smith fans for a while. What's happened to Dogma? Why can we not find it anywhere? And okay. why is it not being reissued? Turns out it's Harvey Weinstein. Okay. It's all to do with Weinstein holds the rights to Dogma. And Smith has learned that Weinstein's been trying to sell the rights for $5 million. And the mogul reportedly scoffed at an offer by Smith and his lawyers to buy it back. He's holding the film hostage. In Smith's words, my movie about angels is owned by the devil himself. And if there's one way out of this, maybe we could buy it away. So until they can manage to get the rights on it, Smith himself can have no involvement with anything, characters or anything to do with dogma. And that's why we've not seen the film getting re-released, sequelized or anything from the Smith stable. Maybe someday. I mean, I love dogma. I've got a lot. Yeah, of I mean, it was the end for me of the of the great Kevin Smith run. Yeah. Malrats, uh, Chasing Amy, Dogma. You know, all those uh, followed clerks. And, and for me, that was at his most interesting. Now, I, I do think Red State, as we, we mentioned, is flawed, but, but certainly an interesting film. Not to be written off. And then there's Cop Out. And there's Cop Out, which is to be written off. Bridgerton and Broadchurch Aluma, Jonathan Bailey, is in talks to join the cast of the John M. Chu-directed two-part film adaptation of the musical Wicked at Universal. We've been talking about this for some time. Yep, it's slowly building that cast up. Bailey's going to play El Faber's love interest, Prince Fierro, in the feature, headlined by Ariana Grande as Glinda and Cynthia Erivo as El Faber. And he'll mark the first casting outside of the two lead roles. Stephen Schwartz penned the music and lyrics to the original Broadway show and is adapting the screenplay with Winnie Holtzman and Mark Platt is producing. And the films are set for release Christmas 2024 and 2025. I don't think there's an Avatar film due out round about any of those times. So <laughs> they should be okay. It might do okay. Marvel Studios has got Jeff Kaplan and Ian Springer to pen the script for the upcoming Fantastic Four film, which we still don't have a casting for. I think we're close to casting. We've got a director, Matt Shackman, who's come on board. And now we've got the writers in place. And now we're targeting the opening date of November the 8th, 2024, the start of the phase six of Marvel Studios coming straight straight after Thunderbolts in July 2024. So it's only a matter of time before something comes out with the casting. Is that the news, Andy? Small bit of casting and news to round off. And that's another one for the Gran Turismo film that is slowly building its cast. Darren Barnett from Never Have I Ever has joined the cast of Neil Blomkamp's Gran Turismo for Sony Pictures which, for those who haven't been paying attention on the news each week, is kind of based on the video game, but more based on someone who played the video game, whose gaming skills got him into a series of actual competitions, and he became a professional race car driver. David Harbour, Archie Madikiwi, and Orlando Bloom are co-starring. Barnett is going to play a racer ranked at the top of the GT Academy, who's not thrilled to see a team protagonist excel against him. Gran Turismo hits cinemas August next year. So, before we go... It's always sad news when we have to announce the passing of someone from the 
Cinematic Brethren. And this week, I guess a name that not everybody is going to know, but clearly, if you're a cinema lover, you will know her performance in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oscar winner Louise Fletcher died at her home in France. 88 years old, passed away peacefully at home, surrounded by family. We spoke about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest way, way back on the show as one of our earlier deep dives. And we expressed our love, not only for the film, but for her performance in it, because it was such a solid performance. Terrifying. She created one of the screen's most iconic villains in her bureaucratic, cruel authority figure. Now that's the monster. Yes. Over 20 years later, she became known to a whole new generation when she popped up in Star Trek Deep Space Nine in a recurring role as the Bajoran religious leader, Kaiwin. Her career had some duff moves, let's be honest. You know, we had Exorcist II, The Heretic. We had Brainstorm. We had Blue Steel. But throughout the 50s and 60s, she was all over TV work with roles in Maverick, The Untouchables. In the 60s, she stepped into films such as Thieves Like Us. And then recent years, she's had a bit of a revival. And she's been seen in things such as Seventh Heaven, Private Practice, and Shameless. So someone who was working pretty much right up to the past few years. Uh, She survived by her sons, John and Andrew Bick, granddaughter, Emily K. Bick, sister, Roberta Ray, and brother-in-law, Edward Ray. And it's sad to see such an icon leave the world, but let's all remember the work that she left us. And that is the news. This is The Film File, the film show for film geeks by film geeks. And if you're not a subscriber and you've not hit that like button, clearly, why not? But if you do want to, head over to your favourite podcast platform, search for The Film File, hit that subscription button, remember to leave a like and become part of The Film File gang. A bit like The Warriors, but we don't go out at night and we like to have a hot chocolate before bedtime rather than any ultraviolence. But that's just us. If you want to know more about The Film File, though, all you have to do is this. You can head on over to Twitter and you can follow us at Film File UK. You can also follow us on so other social media platforms just by searching for Film File UK. You know the drill. You'll find us on there. We're not as active on there as on Twitter, but you'll still find out when new drops happen. Or you can email us directly. Big, hefty email. Tell us your life story. Tell us what films you've watched through your life. Tell us your top films, worst films, films you want us to watch for a deep dive because you love it, films that you want us to suffer because you hate it. We'll give everything a shot. We, we like the idea, and we've done it before, where we will approach a film that maybe isn't as positively received, and we'll try to see what is good about it. We did it with Sucker Punch. So feel free to throw those suggestions out to us. We're here and we want to hear from you. Podcast at filmfile.uk is the email address to contact. And you can catch us on No Barriers Radio every Thursday. And all you have to do is head over to nobarriersradio.com and tune in at eight o'clock every Thursday. And now it's time for this week's Deep Dive. So we said at the top end of the show that Andor has landed on Disney+. Plus. So we're going to talk about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. They call it the Death Star. It's capable of destroying an entire planet. If the Empire has this kind of power, what chance do we have? The question is, what choice? We have hope. Are you with me? All the way. Save the rebellion! Save the dream! Directed by Gareth Edwards, screenplay by Chris White, Tony Gilroy, and starring Felicity Jones, Diego Luna, Ben Mendelsohn, Donnie Yen, Mads Mikkelsen, Alan Tiddock, Riz Ahmed, and Jiang Wen, as well as Forrest Whitaker. And set, well, seven days before Star Wars, the plot follows a group of rebels who band together to steal plans on the newly constructed Death Star, the ultimate weapon of the Galactic Empire. The plot details the Rebel Alliance's first effective victory against the Empire, which is referenced in the Star Wars opening crawl sequence. I've got a feeling, Andy, that you and I might go down different paths on this one. I think you might be right. (laughs) We do occasionally. We don't always agree. There's definitely going to be some crossover in some aspects of it because I have made clear on multiple occasions online and even mentioned it on the show at various points that I'm not a big fan of Rogue One. Now, there are some positives in here. It's a beautiful looking film. It's a very different Star Wars looking film. It looks like a war film. 
it's a bit gritty, it's a bit dirty, and it do, it doesn't feel bright and colourful like the rest of Star Wars seems to be, even during the darker moments. This is a war film in space, and I love that. Directed absolutely fantastically by Gareth Edwards, who just has a visual style that he brings a lot to. He does his best with what he's got. The effects work, the battles are absolutely stunning. However, my problem is not with how it's presented. Gareth Edwards, like I say, has done a great job. My problem is mostly to do with elements that seem to have been forced in through a studio decision. Because when this film was pitched, Gareth Edwards was talking about it. It was going to be the story of the rogue squadron that had gone to get the Death Star plans. And it was going to be a gritty war film in the Star Wars universe. And that was the point at which I was like, this is what Star Wars should do with its spin-off movies. Do something different. Don't force in all the characters that we've already seen. But you can see from the trailer, there's lots of elements in the trailer that were completely changed by the time the film came out. And they were completely changed because all of a sudden we've got, well, we've got Darth Vader in there. We've got Tarkin with quite a significant role. We've got R2-D2 and C-3PO turn up. We've got references to Obi-Wan Kenobi. We've got what feels like shoehorned in stuff to make it feel more Star Warsy, And that's exactly what I didn't want right. from these type films. It feels like Darth Vader's only in there because, oh, there's, there's no real Jedi in here. So we need someone with a lightsaber because, you know, the fans like lightsabers. Woo! Everything just feels shoehorned in and it feels that it's upset the balance of the Force, basically. The Darth Vader aspect that really irks me is that in this film, you've got Krennic. You've got the magnificent Ben Mendelsohn, who's Always a pleasure to watch on screen. Well, but sadly, Andy, he always seems to play the same kind of Ben Mendelsohn villain. <laughs> and I like Ben Mendelsohn a lot. Here, he had the chance to be the main villain. But as soon as you've got Tarkin and Vader in there, he becomes nothing more than a henchman. And it weakens his character as a result. The Tarkin aspect, Tarkin I'd be fine with. With that opening shot of Tarkin gazing out across the space and you just see his reflection in the screen and then he turns around and you realize oh that's dodgy cgi and then it's like well, okay it's just one scene no he comes back and then he comes back again it's like you've overused the character we only needed to know that he was in the background we didn't need to have him coordinating everything vader suddenly is cracking jokes try not to choke on your aspirations oh yeah because uh he's known for his stand-up comedy isn't he darth vader <laughs> and that scene that scene that everyone whoops and cheers and goes, whoa, that's amazing, of Darth Vader wading down the corridor, slashing and cutting up every rebel as he's walking past them. That annoys me no end. Primarily because from that point onwards, from the film that literally starts five minutes after the end of this film, Vader never shows that kind of activity ever again. Star Wars a New Hope opens with him letting all his stormtroopers go in and fight, and then he just saunters in afterwards in charge. Why didn't he just walk on board and hack people up like he's just done five minutes down the road? It makes no sense. It feels like it was shoehorned in because they wanted lightsabers to be used really good. And people would love it if they finally see Vader like going crazy. Hey, death kill, death kill. I think it's all general fan service. And I think people have exactly waited that. a long time to see Vader let loose because Lucas never did it. And I think there's been that expectation of this guy is 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 an absolute badass but we've never really seen him being badass until sort of return of the jedi or even kenobi where we see him being a badass and i think that's i think there's there was that expectation yeah i, I mean i agree it is total fan service and there, there is lots of fan service but i think that was a lot of pent-up frustration especially in light of vader doing anything other than standing menacingly yeah. around so I think that it was more of a, a celebration, not of, of a villain, but, you know, we've been waiting to see Vader in this mould for such a long time and it's it's been talked about, but he, we've never seen it. It just creates problems with the film that directly follows. In addition, the inclusion of Princess Leia in here, who literally finishes this film disappearing off with the plans. Leia going to Tatooine in the next film makes no sense for me now. And the reason why is because of a forced reference to like, I'll send my daughter to go and pick up that hermit in Tatooine earlier on in the film. A, why didn't she go straight away? And B, once she's finally got these secret plans, why does she then think, ah, here's a good idea. Let's lead the whole lot of the Imperials to the last known surviving Jedi. It all causes problems with the next film. And that's why I get so irate about it. Because... These fan service moments with name drops and references, R2-D2 and C-3PO watching all the ships disappearing into hyperspace going to battle, they're on one of them. They're on one of those ships. 
Why are they still on the ground? All of those elements are shoehorned in just to make people go, oh, I recognize something Star Wars-y, rather than letting the film be itself. My last bit of a rant. The actual basic plot element of getting the Death Star plans is diminished by the fact that Galen manages to leak out and the hollow message to say, everyone thought that I was bad. My daughter thought I was bad because I've designed this super weapon, but I've designed a flaw in this super weapon that can be exploited. Why, if he could get that message smuggled out, did he not just have the Death Star plans smuggled out as part of that message? It makes no sense to me, especially when it turns out that in order to get the Death Star plans, they've got to go to a hugely fortified compound, which the rebels themselves go, we're not risking that. And it ends up being a rogue squadron that has to go and do it, who are breaking the rules to just go and get it. I'm going to disagree with a lot of that. I enjoyed this. I This should have been the prequels that we never, never got. The diminishing returns of, of the first prequels. This does everything right. It reminds me of your Dirty Dozens. It reminds me of your Kelly's Heroes. I liked the Rogue One kind of feel about it. I'm not as crazy uh, of some of the fan service, but as I said about the Darth Vader one, I it, it didn't offend. I thought I agree with you about Tarkin. I think the Leia one, okay, I can let I can let it pass. But I enjoyed spending time on on a on a whole different set of moons and planets. Uh, that we hadn't seen before, I felt that the drive to what the characters needed to do and where they needed to be worked really, really well. And I enjoyed spending time in this particular portion of uh, a galaxy far, far away. Uh, I thought it had great fight scenes. I think it had intriguing characters that I was involved in. Uh, I think the ending was very bold, even though Disney had apparently wanted a happy ending and then they shot one and then decided this isn't the way that we want to go. We like this ending. You think about the trailer, the trailer was an entirely different film than the one we got yeah. to see. And I and I think this this was brought something uh something fresh to Star Wars that hadn't at that point really landed. And now I like Force Awakens a lot. After that, I, I've started to lose interest, but Rogue One. I actually quite like Solo, but I thought Rogue One was a great place to bring us back into it. And I and I don't really have problems with some of the plot points that, that you you do <laughs> because I, I I was involved. Is it a is it a perfect film? Far from it. It's a bit scrappy. I think clearly decisions were made. This is one of the most expensive films ever made because as we know, Tony Gilroy jumped in to do uh, some directing on it and, and restructured the script, as did Christopher McQuarrie, uh, who's your go-to guy for helping do that. It is a little bit patchy in, in, in the middle, but um, I, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a, a lot more than clearly you did, but more than I did the, the prequels. This was the film that we almost should have had from Luke. I enjoyed Donnie Yen as Chirrut. I thought that was an interesting character, and that's someone I'd love to see explored in a prequel TV series. And I loved Alan Tudyk's K2SO. It's my favourite robot from the Star Wars universe. I thought it was brilliant. You could tell it was Alan Tudyk all the way through. I don't care. I love Alan Tudyk. I didn't connect with Felicity Jones. I think that's more of a Felicity Jones problem than the script. And if I couldn't connect with the lead character, it made it tricky for me to connect too much with the film. And that's why all the little niggles of plot contrivances annoy me even more because I'm not bought into the people involved in them. Mads Mikkelsen was magnificent, as he always is. You expect nothing but greatness from Mads Mikkelsen. But I didn't understand the inclusion of Forrest Whitaker in there. Apparently his character is in one of the cartoon shows. Again, fan servicing. It's all the studio interference that I can I could see throughout this film that really upset the balance for me. It's a shame, because like I say, I do like Gareth Edwards as a director. I can see the film that he was trying to make, but I can see every point at which he was turned and turned and turned and made to do things that maybe didn't need to be done. This could have been, for me, a great war film set in the Star Wars universe. So there you have it, folks. Andy and I disagreeing on Rogue One. (laughs) I like it. I like it a lot. I can go back to it in a way that I couldn't go back to the prequels. Uh, but then again, I like Solo. Oh, well, that that's that's a story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> and a podcast far, far away. If you want to see Rogue One, where can we find it, Andy? On Disney Plus. You can see all the Star Wars films on there. Get on there. Get it watched. Make your own mind up. I know that I'm, when I look around, I, I discover that I'm in the minority of people who don't quite get the fascination that people have with Rogue One. But the people who 
don't like it as much as everyone else all kind of have the same opinions as to why they don't like it as what I've just expressed. We all have spotted these little little niggles that just, just upset it too much for us. We'll be back again with another deep dive next week. And now it's time for this week's reviews. So we've got a whole pile of reviews for you. But as we've just talked about Rogue One, let's talk about Andor, which landed for its first three episodes on Disney Plus this week. The Empire is choking us. Cassian Ander, I'd like you to come with me. How do you know about me? You can pilot, you can shoot, you can lie. Let's put a real stick in the eye of the Empire. This is what revolution looks like. Cassian Andor is a threat to the Empire. There is an organized rebel effort. It's calling war. I'll die trying to take them down. Star Wars Andor. Three episode premiere. Streaming. So Andor landed this week with its first three episodes. And uh, just to point out, I've only seen episode one. So Andy might be a little bit ahead of me on this one. Uh, set five years before the Battle of Yavin, which we just talked about. Cassian Andor, again played by Diego Luna, is a common thief. But when he encounters the Empire's private security forces, that ends in violence, Andor is forced to go on the run, and while doing so, confront his past, and also take those very, very first steps into becoming part of the Rebel Alliance. So initial thoughts then, Andy. This is brought to us by Tony Gilroy, who had a big hand in Rogue One, clearly has a lot of love for this character, and seems to have less love for Star Wars because he's made a show that doesn't at all feel like a Star Wars show. Okay, so we've just come off me talking about how much, what I don't like about Rogue One. I'm going to try to be brief with this one. I would probably have got a lot more from watching Andor, and I'm two episodes in, I'm only one episode ahead of you, if I cared about this character. But I didn't care about the character in Rogue One, and I'm finding it hard to actually care now because this is a character that i had no time for in a film that i wasn't really a huge fan of who's been expanded out with a backstory that i just generally don't care for it looks great like rogue one it looks great and like you say it doesn't look like a star wars series it looks it it's the under underbelly of society this is one of the things that they said years ago that they could explore the dark underworld and like aspects of star wars i i think it's marvellous that they're tapping into it i'd have loved it if they tapped into it with a different character because i'm not i'm not gelling with it i'm two episodes in and i'm not sure that i'm going to continue i like diego luna but i don't know yet what the character's supposed to be doing now it's episode one there's a, a lot more gray areas in this than we'd seen previously on star wars you know uh gray areas of characters who uh, and which is one of the things that I, I liked about about Rogue One is that people who join rebellions and you think of you know the, uh, the French underground are people who are determined to stop something. They're not all professional soldiers, and and that's what that, again one of the reasons that I liked Rogue One is that they were this this scrappy group of people holding it together, almost echoes of, of Ukraine. Uh, this reminded me of one of those um, Scandinavian noirs because it's it's all very rainy, it's all very grey. Uh, it's got a very different look. It's, I mean, Star Wars should never be shiny, uh, yeah. and this certainly isn't shiny. But I'm just not sure where it's going. Yes, it's it's impressing me that it's got a very different tone. It's gritty. It's not a cuddly show. It's got a, a lot of the rounded edges sawn off. And, and as you said, it's dealing with characters who are the underbelly, and it's taken us to worlds that we've we've not seen so far. It's not everything seems to revolve around Tatooine in the other shows, and and this doesn't. I'm just waiting to find out what the overall story arc is, and I'm assuming that's going to be what do you have to do to take on uh, a, a become part of a rebellion and take on an empire. It feels a bit messy. It's it's slow paced, which again I don't mind, and if that's where it's going. I don't have an issue with that because it feels a little bit more like a, a, a grown-up different attitude show. Yeah. It feels expansive. It feels kind of ambitious in ways that Book of Boba Fett didn't. Uh, and it doesn't confine itself to just one world. Uh, and I'm interested in, in, in the universe that they are portraying, but I still don't have a handle on it. Uh, I like Luna, I think, as a leading man. I've always think think he's an interesting leading man. I just want to see where it goes. I'll stick around probably to the end, but I know that that might have to be at the... Uh, it might not have to be a, a, 
a, a weekly landing for me. I might have to catch up with it in, in little chunks just to see if I can get that idea of momentum from it. That's possibly how I'm going to approach it if I do decide to continue. I want there to be something there to get into. And, you know, you look through the cast list for the series that's coming up and there's some great names and some great roles that are going to be in there. So it looks like there could be something interesting further down the line. But at this point in time, two episodes in, I'm not feeling, like you say, there doesn't seem to be a direction. You don't know what the main story is supposed to be leading to. And it is going to be, what, 12 episodes? Yeah. So there's plenty of time so to get there. They're taking their time. So maybe once there's what maybe once it's up to the halfway point, I'll binge a couple of episodes at a time to see if I can pick up anything from it. But I do think that for myself, what lets it down is that this is a character that I don't care for. Yeah, I mean, I guess what he's got what's got to happen is got to prove to be why you should uh, engage with his character. And even though I I, I like Luna as a character yeah. i've not engaged with the character in this show in the way that i engaged with him strangely enough the opposite of you with rogue one so early yeah. days but we'll see how it plays out it's just hard at the moment with any tv shows because there's so much tv at this yeah. point in time that if anything's just average like what andor is sorry there's there's other shows that need my attention hopefully we'll get a lull in tv shows in a few weeks and i'll be able to spend some more time with it so moving on to the main film reviews, let's start with the one that's got all the controversy out there, all the negativity, all the bad press. Let's start with Don't Worry Darling. Welcome to the Victory Project. Security level, yellow. What are we doing? Changing the world. I don't trust this place. They're lying about everything. We're pushing forward. We are the future. I went to headquarters and I saw what he's hiding. He's trapped us here. Security level is red. We need to leave right now. This place is dangerous. I'm trying to save us. Stop it! Go! In the 1950s idyllic community of Victory, which homes the families of workers at a top secret facility, Florence Pugh plays Alice, a housewife who spends her day enjoying the luxurious lifestyle that the town has to offer, while her husband, Jack, played by Harry Styles, earns his living. However, Alice begins to suspect that all is not as perfect in her world and her grasp on reality begins to slowly erode after she spies a red plane crash outside the town. This film has had a lot of press, with a multitude of reports of rumoured issues during the production. But if anything, it's certainly gone on to show that there's no such thing as bad publicity, because the result has seen it gain more attention from audiences, who probably would have not even taken notice of it in general. Expecting the film to be a bit underwhelming, I was instead quite pleasantly surprised by the offering on screen. First things first, let's get this out of the way. Harry Styles isn't great in the film. A lot of the negativity levied has been regarding his casting in the film. But as for him being the worst actor ever, that's far from the truth. As we saw in his small support role in Dunkirk, there's potential there. And in the hands of a stronger director who could mould him, he could have really stood out. But sadly, it appears that Wilde doesn't get the best performances from the actor. He's not bad and at times shows some promise. But occasional wooden moments and a lack of chemistry with Florence Pugh are quite evident. However, his is a support role, as this is predominantly Pew's film, and she is absolutely bringing her A-game to the part of Alice. A genuine force to be reckoned with on screen, Pew always delivers in her roles. She brings her own energy to everything she does, and here is no difference. As her view of the life around her starts to twist and turn, she sells it entirely, lifting the rest of the film around her as a result. Around her, the rest of the support are generally good, with Pine offering a very small but important edge of charming sinister to things in a creepy turn as the founder of the community of victory. The visual style of the film is sharp. The 50s pastel shaded suburbia setting is equally beautiful, but with an underlying menace at the same time. Smart framing to take in the beauty of the town and the bleak surrounding desert and effective use of colour show that Wilde certainly has an eye for visuals, even if not for the actual people. But, however, the story is too derivative for its own good. And within the first 15 minutes, I'd found that I'd worked out all the turns that the film would then take as it played out, due to it bearing so much similarity to a plethora of films out there, which if I named even one of them, it would be a huge spoiler. However, this film does tackle some themes which have sat with me since watching. Even if it doesn't play them in any subtle or smart manner, it still left me thinking over some of the themes that it included. After Booksmart, all eyes were on Wilde to see how she would follow that up. And whilst Don't Worry Darling isn't as strong as it was hoped, it's still a decent slice of mystery, despite the flaws within. 
and it does show Wilde growing in confidence of direction. All in all, a derivative and very familiar tale, presented in a reasonably entertaining manner, which is more than helped by the presence of the ever-excellent Florence Pugh. So um, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued enough to... I've, I've, actually, I've always been intrigued by this. I thought the trailer really worked for me. Uh, I, I think Florence Pugh is just excellent in everything that she's in. And I, I mean absolutely everything that she's in. She's got, yeah. as, as you pointed out, a, a natural star ability. And uh, and I think Wilde's a, an interesting director uh, to, to look out for. Maybe this was ambitious for a second film, but uh, colour me intrigued. What else have we got? Landed on Netflix last week. It's called I Used to Be Famous. I know that. I know that. Andy, I used to be famous. <laughs> so, so hit me. Will it disappoint me because I used to be famous? Or you tell me. I'm trying to practice, man. That was awesome. This is in a famous band, Mum. You were in Stereo Dream. What are you here for? I think I'm lost, you know. And now you are found. What do you want more than anything else in this entire world? I want to go to the music school. Don't need nobody. Sing a little bit lower next time. A month ago, I couldn't even finish off a verse. And now with a Tim men. With my experience and your drumming, it's going to be banging. Yes, Vince. It's going to be banging. I got us a gig in front of a real audience. Never had a gig in my entire life. It's different. You'll be fine. You and me. Ed Screen plays Vince, a former member of a boy band who's trying to get back into the industry, who, whilst playing his new tunes on the streets, ends up in an impromptu jamming session with an autistic teenage drumming prodigy named Stevie, played by Leo Long. Vince takes Leo under his wing, wanting to help the lad realise his talents and become something, much to the concern of Leo's mother, Amber, played by Eleanor Matsura, who worries what large crowds or criticism would do to her son. However, as Vince and Leo strike up a bond, the film plays out their journey in a predictable but utterly heartwarming and charming manner. I will admit to this being a let's-see-how-droll-this-is watch as it popped up on Netflix, but it swiftly drew me in with the very personal and heartfelt performances, a grounded tale and a warmth to the entire film. Screen, who some may remember from roles in Deadpool, others Game of Thrones, always seems to be cast in support roles, so it's great to see him lead a film, especially one which allows him to showcase a solid range. His character Vince had a brother who was autistic, and in Stevie he sees the chance to be the older brother that he feels he never was for his own, and this lends the bond with the teen some believability. Impressive also is Leo Long, himself in reality on the neurodivergent spectrum, who's a genuine force to be reckoned with on screen, as well as behind the drums the actor apparently can actually play. This casting really grounds and helps sell the tale. There's no surprises, and the film is packed with cliches, but it's the characters so well presented that makes you not care that you've likely seen this film before in many guises. You just want to follow their journey. It's a pleasant film about the price of fame. Sounds intriguing. Sounds generally nice. What else do we have? And let's finish off with the film that landed on Sky, Shark Bait. <laughs> Do we have to? Uh, yes. <laughs> Look what we found! This is such a bad idea! We're just borrowing a couple of jet skis. Go, go, go! It's dead. No signal. We passed the boat on the way out here. We might still be out there. We have to stay together until someone comes. And what if no one comes? Someone's got to be missing us. <laughs> What's it doing? Circling us. Get this thing started. We're shark bait. Where did it go? A group of friends on vacation steal some jet skis and go out to sea, but end up in a head-on collision which strands them in the open waters. As one of them starts the long swim to shore for help, the others deal with injuries, a broken jet ski, and of course, a shark. Much like the other two reviews this week, we've seen pretty much all of this before. The difference here is that shark bait has nothing to draw you in, so you'd care for the plight of the revellers. Each and every one of the cast are inherently obnoxious and unlikable to such a degree that I found myself rooting for the shark for pretty much the whole film. 
All the expected tropes for the stranded at sea subgenre are pulled out of the bag and clumsily dropped in. And the shark moments are played out in the typical glimpses from under the water and sudden attacks in an entirely signposted manner throughout. The final resolution almost had me laughing due to how dumb the film had become, making for a rather unsatisfying waste of my time. The shark kills certainly make a bloody mark on the screen, and there's a few moments that may have the more squeamish of viewers turning away, but overall, this is dumb, poorly played, and disastrously droll. Andy, do you know that the original idea for Jaws 3 was going to be a comedy spoof called Jaws 3 People Nothing? <laughs> Which might have been better than the film that we actually got, but that just reminds me of uh, uh, Jaws 3 People Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, so some good choices there, Andy, and that doesn't sound like one of them. Yep, so uh, Shark Bait is uh, one to definitely miss. Uh, what have we got? Coming out this week then, Andy, what's uh, on offer for our delectation over the next week? Cinemas this week see Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, which uh, I have zero interest in. And it has Smile. Which we are looking forward to. Which I am really looking forward to, especially on the back of that viral marketing campaign, which is utter genius. This is a film that has intrigued me. I'm hoping it delivers. Um, On Now TV and Sky, there's a film called She Will which sees an ageing former film star who's just had a double mastectomy travelling to a healing retreat in Scotland with her nurse as she recovers from the invasive surgery. The remote site reveals itself as a place where women were once burnt as witches centuries before, and Veronica discovers that their ancient ashes have infiltrated the land, imbuing her with the power to exact revenge within her dreams. Uh, It's going on to Sky, though, so don't expect much. Um, Over on Netflix, I enjoyed it. You didn't get as much from it as I did. Pixie lands this week. Halloween 2, yes, they've taken off all the original Halloween films and they're swapping them out for Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. That's a bait and switch if I ever heard it. But if you're a fan of Rob Zombie, there it is. Watch him mess up a franchise. And it's been out at cinemas for a week and it's gone to Netflix, Blonde, which is the Marilyn Monroe film with Anna Diarmis. Over on Amazon, My Best Friend's Exorcism, <laughs> set in 1988. High school sophomores, Abby and Gretchen, have been best friends since fourth grade. But after an evening of skimmy dipping goes disastrously wrong, Gretchen begins to act different. Sounds fun. I'm definitely up for my best friend's exorcism. And that's pretty much it that's caught my attention for streaming. There probably will be one or two more drops that I've not picked up on. And I'll probably end up watching them and coming back and saying, don't watch these. Okay. And I guess that means this is it for this week's show. But of course, before we go, Let's tell you about our neat things, stuff that we have done, watched, ate, read, played, you name it, as long as it's been pretty neat for us, we have some neat things. Andy, what's your neat thing? This week, and I've had this on pre-order on Audible since it first got announced, and it landed last weekend, and I've been listening to it on the bus, and yes, I've been chuckling like an absolute loon while sat on the bus with some people looking at me weirdly. Alan Partridge from The Oast House, Series 2. Yes, the Alan Partridge podcast exclusive to Audible is now out. Discussing things from fly tipping to new show ideas, potholing, almost drowning in a lake. Everything Alan does, he documents on his podcast. And he clearly has no understanding of what he should edit out and what he should leave in. Leaving to utter hilarity. This is everything you expect from the character of Alan Partridge. Steve Coogan, when he created this character, I don't think even he could have predicted how beloved and how the character that would evolve through so much media that when they announced the Alpha Papa movie, everyone thought, really, Alan Partridge in a film? Is that going to work? And he delivered a quality movie. Every time he comes back for a new show, you think, eh, will this work? And it works. When he's written books in the, in the guise of Alan Partridge, it's worked. And the podcast is perfect Partridge goodness. If you've not checked out Alan Partridge from the Oast House, I believe on Audible season one is completely free at the moment as part of their monthly drop of things for a limited time. Get season one listened to. You will be chuckling like an idiot and then buy yourself season two and treat yourself to Alan Partridge just doing what Alan Partridge does best. I'm going to stick with Audible uh, for my neat thing. I uh, resubscribed to Audible, and one of the things that I really enjoyed when I was last with it was the series of Stephen King novels based around the character of Bill Hodges and Holly Gibney, uh, the detectives at Finders Keepers. I'd already read Mr. Mercedes, but I went to the follow-up, Finders Keepers, and then had to go for the third book, including one of the short stories as well, 
that featured the character of Holly Gibney. And I've now gone for The Outsider. Now, interestingly enough, I saw the HBO series, which I thought was pretty good. Too many episodes, but I thought was pretty good. So the plot's simple. An 11-year-old boy is found violently uh, murdered and, and mutilated. Eyewitness and fingerprints all turn to one of the town's most popular citizens, Coach T, uh, Terry Maitland, an English teacher, uh, teaches Little League. However, when the murder happened, he was in a completely different town. As the investigation expands, then horror, in typical Stephen King fashion, starts to emerge. When a book is as well-read, or this series of books is as well-read as, as this is, by the fantastic Will Patton, who is one of those character actors that you recognise from numerous movies and numerous TV shows, then it is just simply engaging. And what I'm finding listening to it is, A, an hour of my driving to work every morning just <laughs> speeds by to the point where I'm thinking, shall I just take another run round the, uh, round, the, round the block just so I get to the end of this chapter? Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying it. And it's down to Will Patton because he brings every single character to life. Uh, and I'm finding it better than the TV series. I did have problems with the TV series, but uh, it, it's really one of those things where the book is better than the adaptation. And the audible version, because of the great Will Patton reading it, makes it an absolutely must. My neat thing, and will probably be my neat thing for the next couple of weeks until I finish. But I do love, <laughs> I do love audible. And that's it, folks. We're done. Uh, we'll be back again next week. I certainly hope so. <laughs> Fingers crossed. All going well. Uh, and hopefully we're there. Hope, hopefully we're, we won't die after watching Smile. Yeah, keep smiling. Keep your chin up. <laughs> no big plans this week. Just trying to survive another week. Uh, so, as ever, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Couldn't do it without this guy. Uh, and Andy, I'm one with the Force. The Force is with me. Film show for film geeks by film geeks. Cracker Jack. Oh, sorry. That was, <laughs> that was that last in. week's joke. Is that the jazz version? As presented by Carla Lane and her orchestra. <laughs> All you have to do is this. Sorry, I just got distracted by... I just noticed on back Kodak batteries, there's weird little symbols of like what you should and shouldn't do with the batteries. And one of them looks like someone sat on a toilet. It's like, <laughs> what? You're not, that, you're not supposed to have a battery while you're having a shit. I don't know. Is that, <laughs> don't stuff it up. If you stuff it up your ass, then yeah, it'll make you shit. It, it won't shit. Well, it's got a cross through it, so it means it won't. So maybe if they're not edible, then it'll get jammed in there and clog you. I yeah. don't know. Bringing with him Rhea Seaborn. Yes. Rhea Seahorn is going to be attached to play the lead. Seaborn. Oh, in... I said Seaborn, didn't I? And he's yeah. bringing with him Sia Reborn. Sia That's Sounds almost as good as Teenage Moon Age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll start that. I shall start that one again because that, that was going. It went nowhere very quickly. Yes. Yeah, it's currently untitled. It's dubbed a blended, grounded genre drama. Dromba? What are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing tonight? I'm one with the force. The force is with me. Probably the only good quote from that film. 